Great. Philippians 2, I'm going to read verse 1 to 11. Philippians 2. Imitating Christ's humility. Therefore, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship from the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Cool. I, I just read what some would consider a hymn, that passage in there, and you, you feel I'm done. Let's just put it quickly into context. Paul is writing from prison. This is one of the four prison letters that we know of from the New Testament. Uh, he planted the church about 10 years ago. He's been in prison for about five years at this point. Prison wasn't a pleasant thing. They had sent him a gift because if people didn't feed you, you didn't get to eat anything. Epaphroditus had traveled with this gift, almost died, but was there with Paul. And yet in the midst of this, and if you've read the book of uh, Philippians, you know that actually really one thing stands out and it's encouragement. In chapter one, verses one to 11, he said, oh, I want you to take encouragement from God's people. It's great just hearing your chatter on Zoom. We take encouragement from God's people. And then he goes on and says, Actually, I want you to take encouragement from God's plan. Because it's not just the people that's here. It's what God is going to do. And then this passage, I feel very much. He says, I want you to take encouragement from Christ's example. You see, Paul had just written to the church and said, actually, be strong, despite the fact there's opposition from outside. I think we do live in a day when there's opposition. I don't know if you saw the Wilberforce Academy that met at Oxford, you know, the, the university apologising afterwards because they've let a Christian group on campus. I don't know if you've seen some universities trying to shut down pro-life groups. We live in a place where you feel like there's opposition to what we stand for in community. But Paul is confronting the potential for division within the church. Phil Moore, in his uh, book, Straight to the Heart, commentary, says Paul tells the Philippians that pride is a far greater enemy to their church than persecution. I wonder if you've ever thought like that. 
do I think I actually pride is going to be a, a greater challenge for me and, and seeing Redeemer Church in Ealing than persecution? I just want to bring two points this afternoon. Unity and humility. Unity. The reality is that the Christian life is always a shared life. I know it says in the beginning there, if it says it four times, it really, the, the, the word is since. If, basically, since you're united with Christ, if, since his love, if, since you've got the fellowship of the spirit, if, since you know his tenderness and compassion. Paul then follows up with four things that he wants them to be like. He wants you to be like-minded. He wants you to have the same love. He wants you to have one spirit. He wants you to be one in purpose. What Paul is, is saying is, look, if you know something, since you know something of Jesus Christ, be united. He then does this sort of no and yes kind of conversation, doesn't he? No to selfish ambition. Yes to humility. No to own interests. Yes to the interests of others. We know that when Jesus, his final prayer recorded in the Gospel of John, the disciples over here in praying in, in John 17. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Jesus's prayer was, hey, I want to see a united church. Some have said that Philippians is Paul's kindest book. He wasn't trying to, and we know that there's a couple of ladies that maybe had fallen out at the end that he dresses, but it wasn't really a big doctrinal thing, you might say. Some would say his, his biggest letter was Romans. After he's done a whole load of theology in Romans, he gets to Romans 12 and he says, Romans 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another. Honour one another above yourselves. I read a commentary, uh, interpretation Bible commentary, a guy called Fred Craddock. He said this, individualism is destructive of the community and a contradiction of the gospel, which speaks and sings of a Christ who was first and always the servant of others. Yeah, maybe I should have done that keynote now because you think, oh, it's a lot to take in. Individualism is destructive of the community and a contradiction of the gospel, which speaks and sings of a Christ who was first and always the servant of others. We know that Paul, when he talks this theology, he says, come on, we've got to be together. How many pictures, if we're really honest in the churches, in, in the Bible of the, the family of believers, it's like one church, one bride, one body. I always say to my church, you know, yeah, we meet in Ealing, the borough of Ealing, 350,000 people. Look, there's lots of other churches. No, there's only one church. I keep saying Jesus is coming back for a bride, not a harem. We're not trying to say, oh, come on, hopefully he's going to kiss me tonight. Come on, we're all part of the one bride of Jesus Christ. What I find absolutely fascinating, remember, Paul has been in prison for five years. Like I said, there was no Paul table. There was no Xbox to play on. Life was tough. 
Yet, what would make his joy complete? If that was me, if I was writing a letter, I'd say, oh, guys, if I get out of here, my joy will be complete. He says, if I know that you're united, my joy will be complete. Christina Cleveland, she's an activist and public theologian from the state, says this discipleship is cross-cultural. When we meet Jesus around people who are just like us and then continue to follow Jesus with people who are just like us, we stifle our growth in Christ and open ourselves up to a world of division. I'm not trying to seek people out that are just like me. We should be a church that reaches out to people that are different. We want all that are welcome, young and old, black and white, rich and poor, single and families. Those with PhDs and those with the University of Life degree. We should be united. But also, I think the challenge that I found here, the other word, one was unity. The other one is humility. Let's be honest, this is such a, an out-of-vogue word. Selfie was adopted by the English Dictionary in 2013, only eight years ago. In fact, it was adopted by Scrabble as an official word in 2014. So if ever you're stuck, think of that word. We don't tend to think of, of, of small. We tend to think of big. We tend to think of self. I don't know if you know, Justin Bieber has got 86.84 million listeners on Spotify because we like the big, don't we? Will Smith has got 111 million followers on Facebook. I mean, that's like twice our entire country, isn't it? Charlie D'Amelo has 123 million followers on TikTok. Barack Obama has got 130 million followers on Twitter. Cristiano Ronaldo, like him or loathe him, has got 315 million followers on Instagram. That's like five times our nation. I guess we don't do great on humility. But it wasn't a concept then either. It's no point looking back and thinking, oh, they didn't have all this social media. They didn't have that problem. The church that he's writing to in Philippi was Paul's first church plant into Europe. The son of the man who the city is named after is Alexander the Great. It was named after his father, Philip. Philippi is what they think. Alexander the Great started his military campaign when he was 20 years old and he was fighting aggressively and took over the known world by the time he was 33. By the time Alexander the, Alexander the Great died, he was considered divine. The Greeks did not even have a word for humility. It was considered of such low value, why would you even talk about it? The Romans were very similar. Emperor Augustus put an end to the long-running civil war within the Roman world and was considered divine by the end of his life. And so both cultures that Paul is writing to, the Roman and the Greek, 
didn't think hum humility was something to be talked about, to be thought about. I guess the honest truth is this problem has gone back to the beginning of humanity. Humility's never been in fashion. If you think of Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve are in the garden, Adam is made in the image of God, but used his position to become like God. Whereas Jesus does the opposite. Adam turned aside from being God's servant, but Jesus chooses to serve God. Adam exalted himself, whereas Jesus humbled himself. Adam was banished, whereas Jesus is highly exalted and king forever. Adam's disobedience led to death for himself and the whole human race, whereas Jesus's obedience led to death for himself, but the offer of life for us all. I have to look in my own heart. I can't just look back at history and think so often I want to grasp for something that makes me look better and better. Matt Smithhurst, um, he said various religions in history have acknowledged the value of humility, but none has dared speak of a humble God. And in this passage, what we discover is Jesus is so different. We discover that he was God. He was named Emmanuel, God with us. We know from John 1, don't we, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. We know from Colossians that the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In fact, some churches preach on Philippians 2 on Palm Sunday because it so clearly points to Jesus as God. That was the time when he was riding in to Jerusalem and there's almost a declaration of who is Jesus. Well, let's go to Philippians 2 because it just makes us realise who is this Jesus? They're not sure whether Paul crafted these words or whether it was an adoption of an early hymn. I don't want to get sidetracked. But what it clearly says is the early church never considered Jesus a do-gooder. The early church didn't just think, oh, he, he was a nice man. or He helped some people that were poor. The early church saw Jesus as God. And yet he became man. Jesus took on human nature. Not instead of God, but, but the God-man. Again, in Colossians, Paul writes, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. We know again in Paul when he's writing in 2 Corinthians, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Look, it's probably a bit early to be thinking about Christmas. I mean, you guys are just uh, winding up to fireworks. But one of the carols I love is See Amid the Winter Snow. Because it says this word, Lo, within the manger lies he who built the starry skies. And what it's really trying to say is actually this baby that we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus, he's God. But he's God become man. It goes on to say that he died 
on a cross. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never thought, said, or did anything wrong. His plan was to come and to die. I mean, this was total confusion to the Jews. For Deuteronomy 21, it was, if, hey, if anyone's hung on a tree, you are cursed by God. This was totally mystifying to the Romans. I mean, let's be honest, we've sanitised the cross now. You know, people wear it or they have it on their little lapel. Or let's be honest, if we had a building, we might put it up to help us meditate upon the work of God. The Romans were so horrified by the word that the Roman statesman, Marcus Caesario, said, far be the very name of a cross, not only from the body, but even from the thoughts, the eyes, the ears of a Roman citizen. Incomprehensible. Yet the cross is central to the gospel. Jesus taught his disciples, didn't he, about the humble life. Mark 10, Jesus calls them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. One commentator that I read in preparation for this says, his deity became a matter not of getting, but of giving. Not of being served, but of serving. Not of dominance, but obedience. I feel undone. They always say, don't they? Humility is one of those things that if you think you have it, you don't. Oh, golly. Father, help. The Bible describes believers as sheep, not peacocks. We are servants, not sovereigns. Do I live like that? On many occasions, on many occasions in the Bible, it declares that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We can read that in James 4, verse 6. It's funny then, really, isn't it? This great doxology of who Jesus is, possibly one of the greatest paintings of the picture of Christ in the Bible, seems a bit rich just to change them to be united. Someone once said it's a bit like getting a cannon to try and shoot a rabbit. You think it just seems a bit over the top. But our life is to be shaped by theology. And if we truly understand who God is, it must impact the way that we live. As disciples of Jesus, we are humbled. The word that we read is there to sanctify us. The CBR did it myself yesterday. Great psalm. It sanctifies it. The cross reminds me of my sin. Prayer is best done on one's knees. 
Worship, I lift up my eyes to him. It's not on me. Trials that we go through humble us. We're disciples of Jesus. We should be humble. But we should also be united. If you're married, is there real unity there? We often say that the sun shouldn't go down on your anger. Well, in the 21st century, it means don't switch off the lights, doesn't it? Some of us got used to sleeping all night with the light on. And when do we stop and think, no, actually, I need to say sorry. What about somebody in the church that hurt you, disappointed you, let you down? Do we make every effort to be united? That's what Paul was writing to them. Why does he do that? Because of the example of Jesus Christ. His whole life, says F.F. Bruce in his commentary, his whole life from the manger to the tomb was marked by genuine humility. Given this example, none of us can ever humble ourselves too much. John Maxwell, the church pastor that became a, a leadership sort of guru, many would say in the States, says, I don't mind people calling me a servant. I just don't like them treating me like one. It's the challenge, isn't it, of thinking, well, actually, am I prepared to take the title or am I prepared to walk that way? In some respect, Philippians 2 is a high call to live a lowly life. Paul is writing to the church and saying, you are to die to yourself to live for Christ. You are spiritually bankrupt, recognize you're rich. You mourn and then you are you hunger and then you're satisfied. This is the gospel. You lose your life and then you find it. Eshitu Abate in the African Bible commentary says, if a Christian does not reflect the life of Christ in his or her attitude and character, he or she is not a Christian. Oh, wow. Father, challenge me. I just want to bring this to say, oh, come on. In the light of Jesus Christ, will we be humble and united? Just about to finish, and I'm just going to read a few of those verses again. I know that you're all on screen, but I'm going to ask you, if you're willing, join with me. You see, F.F. F. Bruce, in his commentary on Philippians, said this. In the early church, in the light of this passage, they reckon that when they did a service in the early church, when the name of Jesus was first mentioned the whole church would kneel. And there was a sort of sense of, oh, wow, God's highly exalted him. And everyone would kneel. And so in the church, what they used to do, they reckon when whoever said the name Jesus, it's terrible for me. I often host our meetings. I think, oh, when would I throw in the name of Jesus? Let's, is everyone listening? I guess I just felt challenged even now as a church. Should we take the knee for the name of Jesus? 
just we say, well, actually, ultimately, it's not about me because if I look at myself and how I feel, I think, but is there something about us newly? Last year, we put a challenge out to all the guys in our church, Neil Vember. Now, I know some people, you know, they grow moustaches for a month and all this kind of stuff. We said, would you get on your knees and pray every day for a month? And guys just said, oh, it's just a different way of praying. There was some talk, wasn't there, that in this country, that if ever you got an award from the Queen, you went down on one knee. And they should put the sword on, you know, each shoulder and say, arise. Because actually we only ever get on two knees before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I'm just going to ask us, if you feel willing, to literally kneel before God now. And I'm just going to read this passage to us once more. Rather than fixing our eyes upon us being humble, rather than even fixing our eyes upon us being united, I'd like us to end by fixing our eyes on who Jesus is. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even therefore god exalted the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, when we stop and consider you, when we consider that God would become man, that he would literally live a perfect life and die, die a vicious, barbaric, degrading, embarrassing, torturous death, that he would take my sin that his heart would be broken. Jesus, I want your example to challenge me, to challenge me to walk humbly, to challenge me to fight for unity, that you will be glorified in the way that I live, that others would, would think, wow, what's happened? And actually the name of Jesus would be lifted up within Foundation Church across Wokingham and wherever you call them to make an impact for your glory. Amen.